Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Praxis. How's everyone doing tonight? Good, good? Excited. I heard excited. Well, thank you guys for being here tonight. I know you could have been somewhere else tonight, but you chose to come to Praxis night, and thank you for that. Um, I am so excited, and I feel very privileged and uh, honored to be able to share with you guys tonight. Um, Definitely, I think that... um, there's just been a lot going on in our society, our minds, our, our surroundings, everything. And I think that a lot of us have a lot of questions about kind of like the future of things in general. Um, this summer's topic series has been about his grace and my struggles. And the main focus has been to study the characters, uh, weaknesses, and see how we can learn from their missteps and character faults as a doorway to God's grace and our encouragement. If there's ever a person that we need to pay attention to and to study why Jesus included him and as his disciple, is this person that we're going to talk about. During our cultural, spiritual, and political wars, what can we learn from this biblical character? As I speak tonight, I hope that all, we all may ask the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts so that we all may be guided and blessed by the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Our gracious God, thank you so much for being so good to us. And in the moments that we may not see your goodness, in the times as we navigate different circumstances, I thank you, Lord, because you're always good to us. And even if we don't understand the why or the how or the when, we trust, Lord, that in your infinite grace and mercy and love, you know what's best for us and you will guide us through. So as we open your word tonight, I hope that the Holy Spirit may come into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, earlier... uh, We asked the question, what was your nickname? Or has there ever been a nickname given to you? I had a few growing up. But the one I want to talk about tonight, it's this nickname that, you know, maybe as a little child, I didn't really see how damaging or how maybe hurtful it was. But as as a little boy, I, I was not, I was very energetic. Let's put it that way. I was always running around. Always going places. My dad, I grew up, uh, you know, my dad's a pastor. And so growing up always, right, like I had to be sitting down and not moving too much. Well, that wasn't me. I was anywhere but sitting down. Um, you see, people label me as a disobedient, stubborn, energetic, crazy little boy who had no manners or sense of instruction whatsoever. To this day, and I'm not kidding, to this day, whenever I meet someone from my childhood, from back in the day, 
They're like, oh, you're Danielito, huh? You're Daniel. Yeah, we've heard all about you. The tales and the stories, they're, they're still around. People know all about you. And, and some, of the stale, some of the stories are innocent or not as crazy, and some of them are pretty wild. Like, for example, the, uh, the time I set the bathroom trash can on fire, apparently. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that, but apparently I did that. Apparently, another time, I chased someone with a burning stick from the fire, and I burned their back. Another time, I got lost at the border between countries, and my poor mom didn't know where I was. She thought I'd gotten abducted. Another time, I ran away from my kindergarten at the age of four. And then I climbed trees, I fell from the trees, and probably the last thing that happened to me is that I got ran over by a bicycle. Yeah. And I broke my clavicle. So you see, like, my poor parents, I gave them so much. <laughs> now as a parent, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I did all of those things. So, yeah, I was known as Daniel El Travieso, <laughs> a.k.a. in English, Dennis the Menace from the 1993 movie. If you haven't seen that movie or if you don't know that movie, go watch it. It's pretty cool, but wild at the same time. So that was me. I was Daniel the Menace. I have a feeling, honestly, that if you never knew me or met me today, and you knew that my name was Daniel the Menace, you would at least have an idea of who I was. So in the book, or in the Bible, we find a character, and all we know about him is his name and nickname. Let me just make sure. There we go. His name is Simon the Zealot. He was one of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, but he's only mentioned four times in the Bible. And every time that he's mentioned in the Bible, he's always listed along the other disciples. There is a reason why the Bible says his name and his nickname over and over. See, when Jesus chose 12 disciples, he did it with a mission in mind. Even though most of them had not been properly trained by, at the, rap, or at the uh, Jewish schools, Jesus called them and taught them about his kingdom himself. Jesus appointed, Jesus anointed, and Jesus blessed the apostles, instructing them to minister and preach the good news of the kingdom. He gave them power to heal, cast out demons, and even raise the dead. In Matthew uh, 10, 1, it says, and, he, and, he, and when he had called his 12 disciples, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And Jesus also said, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I, I tend to read the Bible and it doesn't make much sense or it doesn't mean much, right? Like, you can just read a verse and say, okay, this is what it said. But imagine, this is what Jesus told the disciples to do. Go and resurrect the dead. That's pretty wild. That's crazy. As I imagine that many of you or many of us have gone through a lot of pain where maybe a family member died. And you wish that there was a Jesus right there to resurrect your family member. The Bible doesn't give any other details of information or information besides his name, his name and nickname. Yet Simon was one of the pillars of Christianity. 
yet we don't know much about him. Our only glimpse into his life is through association and history. Josephus, a Jewish historian, says in Jewish Antiquities, he describes four prominent groups. These were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And I created this little chart. I'm going to move aside so you guys can see a little bit. But basically, um, of these four groups, the Pharisees would be almost like, if we were to speak about today's terms, they would be like the conservatives. They believed in resurrection. They believed in spiritual things. They're very strict. The Sadducees were like the equivalent of the liberals. The Essenes, they were dedicated to self-poverty. They lived in isolation and celibacy. They lived in the desert. They're a little bit more neutral. And then you had the last group, the Zealots. They were the libertarians, the political, and even the terrorists. You see, the Zealots were an aggressive political party, a militant movement of the Jewish people, which sought to incite the people of Israel, the people of Israel to incite against the, the, the Romans and to overthrow them through political intimidation, violence, and terror. Yes, they were the first century terrorists. I mean, these guys were so intense that many times they would, you know, attack even their own brethren. They would burn their houses. They would kill the family members. This group started in the year 6 AD out of a rebellion against taxes. There had been a census, and when uh, this group was so against taxes, was so against any, like, kind of Roman power, when they um, had to go through the census, they, it triggered a revolt of, the Jewish, of this Jewish group known as the Zealots. The term zealot means one who is zealous on behalf of God. The term originally derives from the work from the uh, Greek word zelotes, which means emulator, zealous, admirer, or follower. Their motto was, God is my only ruler and my only Lord. And having someone like the Romans over them meant that it was time to fight. You see, for far too long the Jewish people had been suffering under the weight of the oppressor. And many injustices had been, done, had been done. I'm sure many of us can relate to this. As we look at our surroundings, we can see a lot of injustices. It may be whether if you're on one camp or the other camp, you can see a lot of things going on and you say, why God? Why is this happening? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much injustice going on? Well, that's how the Jewish people felt. Or at least particularly this group. And... Simon, at some point, identified with this movement. At some point, the thought of joining the revolution and overthrowing Rome became so attractive to Simon. Simon's political activism gave him a sense of purpose and belonging. The Romans fought back, though, therefore, therefore killing Judas of Galilee, their leader. His sons were crucified, and his followers were dispersed throughout the nation. In Acts 5, 36-37, we read that Gamaliel makes reference about the zealots leader, saying, Judas of Galilee rose up in those days at the census, of the census, and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and everyone that obeyed him was dispersed. 
they had, to, they had to go and run because they were being chased around. They were being followed. So they had to disperse. The zealots then had to resort to other options of operating. They then created their own special forces unit called the Sicarii. Just as we might have the Navy SEALs, these guys were like, okay, we're definitely, we cannot be out in public, so we're going to have to hide. We're going to have to go and, and, and uh, hide from the Romans, but we are going to create our special forces unit known as the Sicarii. This group was known for the use of a dagger called the Sika, which was concealed within their cloak. They were trained to kill. They would kill families of the enemies. They would surprise their enemy from behind, quickly stabbing them on the back, right in between the ribs, thus reaching the heart of their victims in an instant. They attacked Romans, politicians, and even Jews who were friendly to Rome. Anyone who worked for Rome or supported Rome by paying taxes were on top of the blacklist. These were dangerous people, and any sign of their presence was a threat to Rome. No wonder the Romans became concerned when they heard the name Jesus of Galilee. After all, there was a Judas of Galilee. So you can see how the Romans were like, oh my gosh, like this guy, Judas of Galilee, started a revolt. And now there's another guy coming, and his name is uh, Jesus of Galilee. So you can see how in their minds they were like, is this a coincidence or what's going on? I mean, we don't like this. We do not like this. And there was a record, a history of disobedience from these Galilean rebels. And the Romans would not put up with any signs of rebellion. To the Romans, this group was so dangerous and a threat to their power that they were willing to destroy them as soon as possible. And then there's that famous quote that Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And if you see here, uh, let me see this. Okay. Uh, Nazareth was right here at the bottom, at the bottom. So that's part of the Galilee. So Galilee was like the state. Nazareth was like a city within Galilee. So there's that famous uh, quote, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, a lot of times I think that we think that Jesus was born maybe like in a perfect land uh, with a lot of like no political issues going on. But seriously, Jesus was born in the middle of the place where this revolt was born out of. He was a Galilean. And there was just a lot of association with that. So Jesus probably saw a lot of strife going on as he was growing up. According to history, the unrest continued. The, the zealots kept fighting. New rebels, uh, new rebel factions were born. So much that Rome decided to attack Jerusalem during the first Jewish-Roman War. Jerusalem was sieged by the Romans. Emperor Titus surrounded the city, and they wouldn't let anybody in or out. The circumstances within Jerusalem were so bad to the point that people were starving. And people didn't have anything to eat to the point that they had to uh, resort to acts of cannibalism. I mean, it was so bad within Jerusalem. Imagine, I mean, talk about stress. Talk about distress. Talk about pain and suffering. I mean, not only do you have this city surrounding you, like, that's about to come in and kill you. But then you don't have any food. You don't have any water. You might not have anything. So people had to resort to even acts of cannibalism. It was so terrible. The oppression, the pain was out of this world. Many of the zealot members managed to escape 
and found refuge at Masada Palace. Masada was a palace that started being built by Herod the Great some 100 years prior to this war as a refuge for himself in case of a revolt. He said, I'm going to build me a palace that's got everything in it because if someone comes chasing after me, I'm going to be able to survive this revolt. The palace was on top of a mountain, a fortress full of army barracks, basically unreachable by intruders. It had swimming pools, bathhouses, banquet halls. It had a ton of food, courtyards, rooms, paintings, everything. It even had cisterns that could hold water for 1,000 people for up to three years. It was such a magnificent place that it was the perfect place for the... Um, for the zealots to go and hide into it. In the year 73, Governor Lucius Flavia Silva sieged Masada. He brought all of his army, about 15,000 of them, and attempted to reach the top to no avail. But after about three to four months, they managed to get inside the palace. And when they got inside the palace, they found that everyone, basically almost everyone, was dead. According to Josephus, it says that they discovered that its defenders had set all the buildings on fire except the food. As if to say, we die not because we ran out of food, but because we opted to take our lives. They were so convicted of their principles that they would not let the Romans take their lives. All 960 of them, men, women, and children, were found dead except for two women and five children who told what had happened. You see, this was the group that Simon the Zealot belonged to. These were his friends, his associates, his fellow men. These were his army men. This group was so strong-minded, so faithful to their cause, determined and ruthless, willing to give up everything, even their own lives, rather than becoming slaves or dying at the hands of the Romans. These were the zealots. So, I believe I missed a, a slide. But the question is, how does a person of such a background become a pastor? Right? Because as we initially said, this guy was like taking out demons. He was resurrecting people. He was doing all kinds of miracles. How does a person with this kind of background, a fighter, a guy who is willing to stab anybody at any time, how does he become a pastor? I have a question for you. What would you think if Pastor Philip got up and said, hey, Praxis, welcome tonight. We have a great announcement for you. We have hired a new young adult pastor. Young adult pastor, please come in. And as he comes in, you find out that his name is Pablo Escobar. <laughs> or Che Guevara. Or some other leader, like from the Proud Boys. What would you say? I mean, seriously, like, what would you say if that, like, Pablo Escobar came in and, and got up here and said, Hey, guys, I'm the new young adult pastor. I definitely think that a lot of you would have concerns. Not only you, but other pastors, that community would be like, what the heck is going on? The government, I'm sure the local, the state, the federal government, they would be all over, like, Loma Linda. You know, trying to see why this guy was here. 
We really don't know how, how Simon ended up near Jesus. But there's a, a few possibilities that maybe just I came up with. And it's that maybe Simon was initially attracted to Jesus' popularity. Perhaps he liked Jesus' statements of, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And to Simon, this was music to his ears. It's like, finally, a warrior is here. Someone who's going to take us from the pain and suffering to, to victory. And Jesus was saying things like, I didn't come here to bring peace, but a sword. And Simon would get super excited. Perhaps Simon was sent there to spy on Jesus. Who knows? Perhaps he was there to recruit more men for his cause. There is a possibility that Simon had his own agenda when he came to Jesus, like many of us do. The first nine chapters in the book of Matthew lists a variety of different things that happen, and it's not until chapter 10 that Simon is mentioned for the first time. It is possibly that Simon witnessed a lot of miracles and a lot of statements that Jesus said. For example, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Was Simon being a peacemaker? No. Was he being meek? Not by the standards, right? I mean, he was out there like burning houses, killing people. There was a, 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 a saying at the time that used to say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus said, don't resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your cheek, what do you do? Turn the other. I don't think that Simon was that kind of man. I don't think he was the kind of guy, the kind of guy that you would punch him on the face and he would be like, okay, punch the other side. I'm sure before he, that punch was coming to him, he was already like on attack mode. Yet he was listening and hearing these things from Jesus. He also probably heard, love your enemies. Whoa. How am I supposed to, to, to love my enemy, God? Come on. I'm supposed to hate them and get rid of them. Jesus also said, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. <sighs> Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and do not worry about tomorrow. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like the wise man build his house on the rock. And as Jesus was saying those things, as Jesus was saying those things, Jesus was planting seeds of truth in the fertile soil of Simon's heart. And at some point, those seeds that were thrown in his heart and the things that he was hearing and listening began sprouting into his own life. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. Most likely Simon, as well as many people, recognized Jesus might have power and realized that perhaps he was the much-awaited Messiah. They thought that he would set his kingdom here on earth at some point, but all of that soon began to change. 
We don't really know exactly how he went from being a warrior, a fighter, a political guerrilla member to becoming a follower of Jesus. Because it was one thing for Simon to want to join Jesus, right? I mean, he was like, hey, I might get close to this guy because if he's the Messiah, I want to be connected to this guy. I want to have the great connections. I want to be with this guy because when he becomes king, I want to be right there. So it was one thing for him to want to join Jesus in that manner. But it was a different thing for Jesus to say, you, come and be part of my special group. After all, remember, people knew who Simon was. And Jesus also was taking a big hit, you could say, by being associated with someone, a killer like Simon. Jesus' ministry, his reputation was on the line, if you want to look at it from that perspective. Jesus took a big risk with Simon, just as he takes a big risk with you and me. There's something attractive about Jesus to many, and it's only as people continue to remain at the feet of Jesus that they also, like the disciples, will be transformed. We will all bow down at the feet of Jesus. Simon was now a different person. He was being transformed by who? By Jesus, little by little. One of the ways that we know that Simon was different was because of the group of the 12. You see, in that group, there was somebody. And this somebody, oh my gosh, he hated his guts like crazy. These were the arch nemesis of the zealots. These were tax collectors. You see, this is why the war happened. This is why it all started in the beginning, right? That guy said, hey, we're going to do a census so that everyone can pay taxes. And they created uh, basically a terrorist group out of that. And now all of a sudden, you, you mean to tell me, Jesus, that you have a guy, a traitor, a tax collector in your group as a disciple? What is wrong with you, Jesus? What is wrong with you? Tax collectors were seen as traitors to their own people. And if anything, for a zealot to kill someone like a tax collector would have caused little to no shock in the Jewish society at the time. In the end, traitors had it coming, right? I mean, you reap what you sow. Or in today's language, we would say karma. So, historically, tax collectors would cheat and charge people more taxes than mandated by the government. You know the... Uh, the example of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector as well. And when he, when he met Jesus, he said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody of anything, I feel so sorry, Lord. I feel so sorry. I will pay back four times. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is son of Abraham. Matthew Going back to Matthew, whether he had stolen or not, he was a tax collector and an enemy of the zealots by default. But here's the difference. Now, Simon the zealot was now able to sit at the same table and eat with a tax collector. He was able to work in ministry with a previous enemy. They both were anointed and ordained by Jesus to preach the good news. They were now brothers. Previous enemies... Previous enemies were now what? Brothers. Previous enemies were now allies. They both had been changed.
by Jesus. This is a miracle. He, that he would have a zealot, that Jesus would have a zealot, and a tax collector demonstrates the grace and openness of Jesus and his desire to make the Christian community unified. And Jesus, two enemies found reconciliation. I know that recently, I mean, as a matter of fact, yesterday, there was uh, a decision by the Supreme Court. And many of you, many of you might be on one side of the issue. Many of you are on the other side. And some of you are in the middle, Switzerland, right? But here's the thing. The thing is that with all the stuff that's been going on, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of resentment. Whether you approve one decision or the other, there's a lot of hate. And so how do we make the Bible relatable? How do we make the Bible come alive? Because, see, I feel like if the Bible exists for a reason, and if these stories are there, it's not just to sing, you know, sit around and sing Kumbaya, and okay, that was a cool story, and let's go. But we believe that there is power in the, word of, in the Word of God. And so in the Bible, we see that two enemies who were willing to kill, like, or at least the zealot was, killed to, was willing to kill the, uh, Matthew, the tax collector, these were enemies. In Jesus, we see that they found reconciliation. In choosing Simon the Zealot to be one of the twelve, Jesus uses the same personality, the same energy, the same fervor, the same passion. But now he redirects that energy and unique personality for the preaching of the good news of the gospel. You see, a lot of times we come with our own personalities, right? And we say, oh, you know, as a nickname I was labeled as, as, as angry, or maybe I'm too much, or maybe I'm too little, or maybe I'm this, I'm that, I'm too quiet, I'm too shy, I'm too loud. I speak my mind. And you get all these labels, right? And as you go through life, you tend to stick to them. And you say, this is who I am. This is who I am. But in Jesus, he says, hey, it's okay. You got a lot of energy? It's okay. Let's use that energy for the preaching of the gospel. Hey, you tend to be a little bit, you know, like, you're maybe not too social, but you're great at, like, um, you're going to organizing and, and creating things and making things happen. It's okay. We'll use that for the, for the gospel. Jesus is able to use who you are, and he's able to use that for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. There's this quote that I found. It's a little bit long, but I'm going to read it to you because it is so powerful. And it says, the apostles differed widely in habits and disposition. They there were the publican, Levi Matthew, and the fiery zealot Simon, the uncompromising hater of the authority of Rome. These were brought together with their different faults, all with inherited and cultivated tendencies to what? To evil. But in Christ, but in and through Christ, they were able to dwell in the family of God, learning to become one in faith, in doctrine, and spirit. They would have their tests their grievances, their differences of opinion. But while Christ was abiding where? In the heart, there could be no dissension. His love, would lead to, his love would lead to love for one another. The lessons of the master would lead to the harmonizing of all differences, bringing the disciples into what? 
Into what? Into unity. Till they would be of one mind and one judgment. Christ is the great center. And they would approach, approach one another just in proportion as they approach the center. And I think this is where we have a lot of problems because, see, we say, I'm coming in with my own agenda, just like Simon. Lord, I want freedom. Man, I don't want to be, I don't want these guys to be over us. We're so sick and tired of the pain and suffering. But you had other people that were like, no, 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 it's not that bad. It's okay. I'm going to play Switzerland. And so when you have all these different groups, there's a lot of chaos because it's like, how could you, you know, how can you not see the problem? And the other one says, how can you not see my problem? As they got closer to Jesus, as they walked to Jesus, they also became closer to one another. Jesus was trying to visually depict what the kingdom of God is and will be. By exposing people from opposite sides of life, he was demonstrating that anybody can come to Jesus. If not, ask Simon. Even enemies. There is no one who is excluded from being part of the kingdom of God. And as they come to him, they will be transformed into the image of God. I think a lot of times... And, and I want to say this with love because I know there's like different thoughts of opinion and whatnot. But I think a lot of times, and we see this in the, in the example of Simon. We, we want to come to Jesus with our own backpack full of stuff. And we want to, and we want to say, okay, Jesus, here I am. And it's cool. And that's great because Jesus will welcome you. But Jesus also wants to say, hey, son, hey, daughter. I have a life so much better for you. I have plans for you. I have things that you don't even imagine. Like right now you think you want to be in this relationship and you think that he or she is, is everything for you. But let me tell you, just trust me. I got something for you. I got something better that will fit just perfectly. Or you have that one job and you're like, oh, God, I want that job. I've been working so hard. Man, if I get that job, I'm going to get a raise, which is not bad. Right, But I'm going to get a race, and, and I'm going to be able to have vacation time, and I'm going to be able to work from home or, or have a flexible schedule. But for some reason, it doesn't fault, and we say, oh, God, how come you don't love me? Why are you always so against me? Or you have something else going on. Maybe you have disease in your life. Maybe you have a family member who's going through a lot, who's going through cancer, who's going through pain and suffering. And you say, why, God, why is this happening? In choosing people from different walks of life, Jesus was showing that unity is possible in and within Jesus. The anger, the hate, the disappointments, the cheating, the love of self had now been traded for a love and passion for Jesus and for the saving of the souls. He who called the fishermen of Galilee is still calling men and women to his service. And he is just as willing to manifest his power through us as he did through the first disciples. However imperfect and sinful we may be, the Lord holds us to offer, he holds us out to the offer of partnership with himself, of apprenticeship of Christ. He invites us to come under divine instruction that uniting with Christ, we may work the works of God.
So where are you in your walk with God? I'm going to invite the, uh, the team to come up. But that's the question I want to ask you tonight. Where are you in your walk with God? Because, see, I think that if you came here tonight, it's for a reason. Whether you were invited by a, you know, by a friend or you came because you had nothing else to do or because you like coming and joining praxis, it doesn't matter. We're so happy that you're here tonight. But the question is, where are you in your walk with God? Or are you even walking with God? Do you even know? Do we even really know what that means? Hey, the first step you've taken, that you're here tonight. And I think the fact that you're sitting here and you've given me the time, your precious time, to listen to me. It's a sign that you're searching for something more. And just as Jesus was speaking words of life into the life of Simon, and he was saying those statements, love your enemies. Seek first the kingdom of God. When the Lord, when you hear those things, seeds of hope start growing in your heart and they start sprouting. The more you hang out with Jesus, what do you think is going to happen? The more you will look and act like Jesus. Christ invites us to partner with him and be part of a movement, a true movement that will truly satisfy your soul. Simon thought that violence and political affiliation would give him the answers that he was looking for. But when he met Jesus, he realized that only Jesus, only Jesus, only and truly, only Jesus, only and truly, only Jesus. I think that ever since having a daughter, I get more emotional. <laughs> and I'm feeling super emotional right now because, which is not a bad thing, by the way. It's not a bad thing for men to cry. Amen. But I have to confess that there's been a lot of anger in my heart. For a lot of things that I see happening, things happening in my society, in the church, in families. And as I was reading this, Jesus says, only I can satisfy your soul. And he says the same thing to you. He says, you're looking for things in the wrong places. You know, you son, daughter, you're looking for peace in the things of this world. You're looking for assurance. And I'm not saying, yes, I believe that. And actually, by the way, as a side note, tomorrow uh, for, uh, during our, sab our Sabbath school, we're going to be talking about this topic um, with one another. But Jesus says, you're looking for peace and hope and stability in the wrong places, my son, my daughter. I want to give you the water that truly satisfies your thirst. 
I want to be your everything. Come to me. I want to give you everything. And many times we run away, we run away, and Jesus goes after us, chasing us. And it's okay. Many times we've ran away from God, we've been away, and Jesus is still with open arms waiting for us. Jesus only and Jesus only alone satisfies your soul. In the life of Simon, we see that he was Simon the Zealot. And even 2,000 years later, we still only know him as Simon the Zealot. But his past was also his sermon. You see, people said, man, he's a terrorist, the killer, the bad guy, the terrible guy. How in the world is he associated with Jesus? How in the world is he preaching? How in the world is, in the world is he raising the dead? How in the world is he doing that? Because his past was now his sermon. And even though people knew who he was and what his past used to be, Simon the Zealot also became known to be, came to be known as Simon the disciple of Jesus. Simon the teacher of many. Simon the pastor of all. Simon the friend of humans and friend of God. So I ask you tonight, what does your nickname say about you? How would people describe you? What do those things say about where you find your purpose and identity? And does something need to change? Jesus offers the welcome. He doesn't make, he doesn't force himself. He says, hey, I'm at the door and knocking. If you're willing to open the door, I will do what? I'm going to come in. Sit with you. Our God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, because you welcome us and you accept us. But also, Lord, thank you so much for the change, for the transformation that you do in our lives so that we can go from being, so that we can go from darkness to light that we can go from A to B and that in doing so even though our lives are not perfect and it's okay if they haven't been perfect but thank you Lord because that is the message that people see that is the testimony and when people see that their lives are changed see many times Lord I know we, we get too caught up with saying the right things or saying a bunch of words but in reality Lord it's our testimony and people see that and people say 
that guy, Simon the Zealot, used to be a bad guy, but look at him now. Look at what he's doing. How did he do that? How can I get that same thing? And so, Lord, as we go tonight and as we leave this place, make us humble. Give us your spirit. Give us your spirit of love so that instead of fighting and trying to hurt each other with words and actions and, 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 and gossip, that we may be able to draw to each other in humbleness from both sides. May that be liberal or, or, or strict or conservative or neutral or nothing. May we, Lord, in the name of Christ, be united through you. Help us, Lord, to see, to get the answers, to see the light, to see how we can become just like you. And that in doing so, the world may see how we are united in your love. And how we and your message is a message of love and salvation for a dying world that's hurting. So thank you, Lord, for healing our souls. Thank you for hearing our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that whatever we came with, whatever burden, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever doubt and question that we may have, that we may leave it at your feet. It is too heavy. It's so heavy, Lord. My back hurts. But you are mighty and powerful to carry our burden. And so in the name of Jesus, anyone here tonight is carrying a heavy burden. Their backpack, their backpack is heavy. It's full of stuff. I pray, Lord, that you may take, that they may have the assurance, the freedom, and the trust that you can take care of whatever they're going through. So we leave that backpack at your feet. And in the name of Jesus, we believe that you will change us, that you will change whatever circumstance. And we believe, Lord, leave that backpack at your feet and we trust and we believe in your promises in Jesus name Amen Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.